Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Money makes the world go around the world. Go around the world. Go around. Money makes the world go around. It makes the world go round. Good job, Rob. Thank you. Kevin and I actually rehearsed that for a long time before we went on the air. Friends, congratulations. You're getting a new Patreon advertisement from us. As you know, we've had one for a whole year. So enjoy the Money Money song because you're going to hear it for the next year. But you know, I'm not singing I Dream to Dream anymore, so <gasps> I'm going to miss it. Okay, so friends, you should know the drill by this point. We have 47 wonderful patrons on Patreon. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Patreon.com. That's P-A-T. R-E-O-N dot com. As Pat Rion. Pat Rion. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. Pat Rion sounds like a drag queen from the 80s. Well, like, don't tell mama. So as you know, um, <laughs> we are an entirely, we are not funded by anybody except Patreon patrons. We, there was a lot of P's in that sentence, a lot of explosive P's. It's good. Um, thank it's you. very emotional. Thank you. After I had my stone removed, there was a lot of explosive P's as well. Thank you. I'll be here all week, folks. So once again, we need your help. Head on over to patreon.com. How is that spelled, Kevin? Pat Rion, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. When you head over there, you're going to search for... Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And once you get there, you're going to hit a button that says... It's going to say, become a patron. And you can give us whatever you got. A dollar, two dollars, five dollars, anything that you give Cast us. Cast album collection. Yes. Oh, yes. Fine. Please, please, please. We will totally take that. <laughs> anything that you give us will be a, a wonderful contribution to helping us get this thing going. Thank and you, to everybody. keep it on the air. We you love go- you guys for it. We love you. Money, 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 around is all that makes a work around. It makes a work around. Um, I thought I did good. That was pretty good. Thanks. I'm a star. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Curtain. And make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's and Living a- Legends. Are you going to cut me off? Go and, for it. Yep, sorry. I took too long. Say it. And follow us on Instagram at the Broadway Curtain Podcast. Plus, you can always listen to our podcasts on Broadway World and Stitcher. From the great big state of Texas to the great white way, today's guest is a true icon of the industry whose razor-sharp wit and humor has been a fixture on television, movies, and stages for over 70 years. She is best remembered by theater audiences for her appearances in Romantic Comedy with Anthony Perkins and Mia Farrow and for creating the role of Maggie Jones in 42nd Street, as well as having appeared in the 1956 seminal production of the Three Penny Opera, not to mention the fact that she was the second person to play Dolly Levi and the only person to play the title character in both Mame, the musical, and Anti-Mame, the play. Oh my gosh. And do we even need to mention her appearances in... Sixteen Candles, The Incredible Mr. Limpet, The Lucy Show, Here's Lucy, and so many others. Plus, her award-winning cabaret career. And, I know, as if her work as an artist wasn't enough, she was one of the first individuals to demand that the world help those suffering with HIV-AIDS when many folks didn't want to acknowledge it was even happening. This demand for helping when most needed and speaking her mind in the face of criticism 
is still on display today. Don't believe us? Head over to TMZ to, to see Jeez. her in action. Uh, to tell us what it was like to work with such legends as Lucille Ball, who was the maid of honor at her wedding. I won't okay, I'm giving too much away. Lucille Ball, Robert Osborne, Gower Champion, Tom Troop, her husband, Ethel Merman, and oh, so many others here to help us shuffle off to memory lane like you would do to Buffalo is the incomparable Mildred Francis May. Carol Cook. Carol, how are you today? I'm exhausted from that introduction. <laughs> I am so damn tired. Carol, you have done it all. Carol, where'd you grow up? I grew up, uh, well, as they say, in Abilene, Texas, honey, but you can't <laughs> hardly tell it now. I plumb lost my accent. <laughs> and don't ask. I mean, how? I can't remember ever not wanting to be an actress. Yeah. So... I don't know whether, I think it's kind of like people that are called to, you know, to uh, the call for God to be a pastor or medicine or something. I can't remember um, why I thought that, but I knew I wanted to be an actress. And um, uh, I would do little school plays, and my mother kind of um, played into that. Now, she knew nothing about professional theater. It's just that she thought it opened our minds. She was sort of like a rural Auntie Maine. <laughs> Your mother the, was. Without the money or sophistication, <laughs> which doesn't leave a hell of a lot with Maine, as a matter of fact. <laughs> but she would drive us to Dallas, Texas, to see Ethel Merman and the Lunts, Alfred Lunt, Lynn Fontan, and uh, Jane Cowell, and Catherine Cornell. You're too young to know who they No, but, no, but, but, you, but you do teach history. Yeah, yeah so you yeah. actually got to see Lunt and Fontaine on stage? You bet. What, what is uh, that uh, like? Tom and I, I'm married to a fabulous actor named Tom Troop. My a brilliant my actor. And we call ourselves the Polish Lunts. <laughs> <laughs> because they were my idols. Yeah. Alfred Lunt and Lynn Fontaine. I'd never seen anything like that. What made them so magical? On stage, I believed everything they said, mm. who mm. they said they were. Yeah, I just believed. Wow. I believed, and it's uh, true of all great artists. Yeah, you just go with it and you believe. And um, I remember um, when I was about four or five years old, and it would get very cold in Texas, very cold, what they call blue northers. I remember waking up one morning, and my mother or daddy had come into the room and put on the heater. So the windows fogged up, you know, mm. froze over. And I remember getting up, and for the first time, I remember walking over, seeing the frosting on the glass, and my real name is Mildred Francis Cook. And <laughs> you don't kid about a thing like that. <laughs> and I wrote on the window, Mildred Francis wants to be an actress. Oh. I, I wrote that on the window. And um, from then on, every morning, I would write a wish on the window. And uh, my mother and daddy called it Mildred Francis's Wishes on the Window. That I even once wrote on there, uh, Mildred Francis wants a baby brother. And I got a baby brother. <laughs> and years later, my mother and I were talking about it. And I said, Mother, that was so sweet of you and Daddy to go to all that trouble to get me a baby brother. <laughs> she said, Oh, Mildred Francis, it was our pleasure. <laughs> but um, I had that kind of background. Yeah. What did your father do 
for a living. A statistician, vice president of the West Texas Utilities Company. Wow. And, um, but he died, my father died at 46. Mm. So, um, you know, that, that changed yeah. everything, too. I didn't get to go to New York as soon as, as I wanted to. You wanted to but, go home and take care of your, your mother? And, yes. Yeah. And I had uh, uh, three siblings, all younger than I. I was the eldest. I didn't admit that for several years, darling. Yeah. But you can't lie about that anymore, not yeah. with computer age. Yeah, yeah, You have to tell your age. Absolutely. And, which is fine with me. Yeah. And, um, but it was, it was one, and then I went back to Baylor, because my father died, and uh, got a master's in Greek drama. I a know. A master's in Greek drama. I know, drama. darling. <laughs> I know. I know. I did Medea. I grabbed my tits and came on stage <laughs> screaming, death, death, <laughs> to little Craveson, death. And that's when I decided, you know, you better go into musical comedy. <laughs> Grabbing your tits and coming on stage is not, not your forte. <laughs> <laughs> but I is, disagree. Uh, I disagree. Uh, oh, yeah. you, uh, you've seen them. Well, <laughs> They were perky. They were perky for a long time. Okay, but uh, I love this. But I did. I did love it. And when you were growing up, were you listening to cast recordings or? Oh, yes. or what, do you remember some of okay. your favorites or, or? Oh yes, everything Ethel Merman did, Mary Martin, <laughs> you know, all of those, and even opera. I I would sit. I know that seems really strange, but there was no television then, darling, and I would listen on the radio to the Saturday afternoon opera of the air with a man named Milton Cross, had this fabulous voice, and I would sing along with Ezio Pinza and then switch to Lily Pons, who was a yeah. color tourer. Well, that does explain the voice I have now. Did I sound like a female impersonator. No. <laughs> <laughs> drag Queens International. <laughs> the patron saint of drag queens. <laughs> yes, indeed. So why not California? Why not film uh, the film industry? Did that not no. appeal to you? No. Always Broadway. Always Broadway? Always Broadway. When did you finally get up to New York? Uh, well, then I went to New York and uh, worked at the Marty Bra Brazier Company. At the Brazier Company. Okay. <laughs> when I kid a blonde girl, yes. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> it was not my favorite thing, but I had absolutely no qualifications for getting a job. I mean, I said, I have a master's in Greek drama. They go, no shit, how fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for you, honey. <laughs> and um, But that's what I did. And my first real job in show business was the famous, iconic, iconic production of Three Penny Opera, Dry Goshen Opera. Okay, so how did that come into your orbit? I had my coach. How, who coached you it? on Three Penny? Uh, uh, Harold Fonville was a, everybody had a coach at that time. And um, so he said, there's a, a Three Penny show called Three Penny. Well, I certainly knew, what, having, having a master's degree and all that kind of stuff. And Charlotte Ray. Was playing Mrs. Peachum, and we know the wonderful Charlotte yeah. Ray. Now I was working at the Marty Brabazier Company. I mean, I couldn't get arrested. You know, I was. I'd come to New York. That's all I ever wanted was New York. And um, Charlotte Ray gave her notice, opening night. 
She and I have discussed it. Yes. May, may I ask why she gave her? Yes, because she had been asked to go into a new Broadway sh- show called Pajama Game. Oh. And she gave her notice opening night. Okay. And the late, great Charlotte Ray. And uh, they, the management was, I think, rightfully pissed at her for doing that because she stayed. She gave no hint that she was leaving. And so she wanted to open in the show, which any actress worth her salt would do that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't blame her at all. But the minute they heard it, of course, they panicked because they opened, and it was a tremendous hit. And, you know, it was down a little, it was in the village, you know, in oh, a yeah. little theater, yep. like unheralded. Of course, the great Lottie Linia was in it, Kurt Vile's widow. Mark Blitzstein was with yeah. us at that time. And, I, you know, I was, I was younger then, and it was, I didn't even kind of know what it was about. I remember when I got the part, I went down, I played Mrs. Peachum, Charlotte Ray, I replaced Charlotte Ray, and it was very full of left-wing, I mean, all very political, yeah. you know, left-wing people yeah. and all that. And I remember people say, don't discuss politics, don't discuss politics, Mildred Francis. My name was still yep, Mildred, Mildred Francis. <laughs> Mildred Francis, honey, I didn't even know who the president was, so what the hell did <laughs> I know? And I said, oh, okay. But I'll tell you, getting that show was, um, it, it was extremely theatrical in my life. And by that, it had, it was, it was, it, it had such an impression on me. It was such a hit that people came down, producers, and wanted Lottie, Lottie Lenya, to take it to Broadway. She refused. She said, this was conceived down an alley in Germany, and that's the way it will be. And uh, nothing Hollywood about it. Nothing. It was fabulous. But in the run of the show, Mrs. Peachum sings very bitter songs about, about first feed us. And then you talk right and wrong. You warn us you're about to lift our dresses. You know, it's first feed the face and then talk right and wrong. And it was bitter. Well, by the time I'd been in the show maybe a month, I began to get ready to go to the theater at night. I had my day job. But I would go, well, I'll just wear the black stockings. I won't have to change. Then I thought, I won't wear any makeup. I had to wear a putty nose. So I'll just I'll just wear no makeup. I'll wear babushka over my head. I, I looked like three-penny opera before I even got to the theater. It had a tremendous effect on me, and, and everything was dark. Everything was bitter. Everything was, was fabulous, but it was a sordid piece. So, one day, as I said, by the time I got to the theater at night, I no longer put on the Mildred Cook face. No, no. I looked like Mrs. Peachum when I got there. So, I would get there, and I would look forward to coming out on stage, and I was in a spotlight, and I would sing that bitter song about people 
it man's inhumanity to man. I had been to the dentist that day, and they had pulled a tooth. I am standing in the middle of the stage with a spotlight on, and I'm singing this bitter song. I feel a trickle of blood coming down my, uh, out of my lip no. and down my chin. And I thought, instead of going, oh, my God, I went, how fabulous. <laughs> I've got blood. There's blood. There's blood on Mrs. Peachum. With that, I took my tongue and shoved it so that it would bleed more. <laughs> and that's how sick I was. That's how, <laughs> that's what an effect. Three-penny <laughs> dry Goshen opera. And I mean, the blood was spurting. And the stage manager's going, oh, my God, she's bleeding. And everybody said, oh, she's trying to do that. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I've, it was. The curtain came down, and I had bled quite a bit. I mean, not enough to scare yeah. anybody. But, I mean, there was blood. And all I thought was, how fabulous. I'll never be able to top this. <laughs> There's blood, and I'm doing three-penny opera. I've topped myself. <laughs> that was also the same night I went. I'm going to give my notice. <laughs> What's a glittering tits girl like me doing in three penny opera? I should be doing a Medea. Yes. I should go back to Medea. <laughs> but it was that um it it was that compelling yeah. to me. And that and I'm grateful for having done that. To think how and it was it's never been done better. I've mm. seen a million productions now, Three Penny Opera, but they didn't, you know, they didn't give an inch. Yeah. If, and Lottie Linya, this bird-like little woman with this quaky little voice, go, and the ship, the black freight. <laughs> I mean, it. Yeah. the voice was like that. And very Prussian. Every night, nothing deviated. Mm. Always the same. Always the same. You know, in America, we're very big on improv and uh, yeah. and the illusion of the first time, which I certainly go for. Sure. And hers was the illusion of the first time, but it was always the same yeah. exact illusion. Yeah. I think that's a, a Prussian mentality, you know. To have that sort of rigid, rigid ability to recreate. Rigid. Okay. Very, but brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. And your cast, I mean, not only her, I mean, who is a, a oh. genius, but you said Beatrice Arthur was with you. Beatrice. Was Ed Asner in it with you or Ed, no? Ed, and Joe Sullivan and Ed Asner came into it later. Oh, okay. But it was uh, Marty Wolfson was Mr. Peacham. His um, brother was a playwright. Mar and it was, it was just an astounding... Many... Um, the audiences were hugely populated by uh, Europeans. Mm, mm. And on Broadway, they would have cast Marlena Dietrich in that part. Sure. Lottie. Yeah. Lottie was brilliant. Brilliant. None of the glamour. She was a whore. You know, yeah. it was of that era and down and out whores. Thieves. And for for someone like you who, re like you said before, was not very political before, right. did you think Three Penny Opera then instilled in you some sort of 
yes. sense of awareness. As a matter, they were careful. Yeah, they were very <laughs> careful about. Uh, uh, remember the McCarthy era and all of that. Yeah. So, but there were certainly many left-wing <laughs> people. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I took to it just like that. Good. Okay. Great. <laughs> okay. I love that. And um, but it was um, it was um, certainly one of the great experiences of from. For me. And this was your first real yes. professional yes. job in New York. Let in me New ask York. you. Um, we asked this to all of our guests. Uh, is this how you got your equity card? Uh, no, I got my equity card in Texas. Okay. I had toured in a, a play in Texas. And yes. so I had gotten, I already had my equity card. So you already card. had your equity yeah, card at that I point. Had it. But from then, then opened, not through that, but then I started going to you know auditions all the auditions mm -hmm. in the world and uh, that's where i that's where i got my craft together yeah. and did from i did everything from you know hit the deck uh, <laughs> boys from syracuse ado uh, yeah. uh, annie uh, uh, Oklahoma brigadoon oh you did everything yeah, I mean, yeah you name it and later on follies i mean yeah i've done you know that is that's the thing I think that's missing now. Young people, they really I played the big musical tents. Yeah. And they were fabulous. Fabulous. That's where I learned technique. You learn to do it not just you know, your favorite uncle can be the funniest man in the world on a certain night. Yeah. But he can't do it nine times out of ten. That's the difference. Yeah. And, uh, and champions can do it nine times out of ten. Make that eight out of ten. Yeah. <laughs> Make that eight. <laughs> but that's the difference. Did you ever do the Kenley circuit? Oh, my darling, yes. I did not know John Kenley at all, and I have so many questions about him because uh, he's a fascinating. John Kenley is an amazing. Yes. Tell us, lived what as a woman, yeah, in the winter months in Florida, and when I was uh, doing Mame. For Burt Reynolds at theater, yeah, um, he sent me this huge bouquet and said, "I won't be seeing you. I will see you in the audience. I will see you on stage, but I will not be coming backstage." And I didn't understand that for obvious reasons. Yeah. I think I don't know whether he didn't. I certainly, I was the one person he could have. Oh, absolutely. What? But it didn't matter to me. I would have loved to have seen him. Yeah. But um, he lived as a woman But in the winter months. But in the summer, he ran the most successful summer. And you would think a man like that, because he was, he didn't, he had on men's clothes yeah. in the summer. But he was strange looking. Yeah. Honey, they loved him in Warren, <laughs> Ohio. That's and, what I and, heard, yeah. Oh, yes, darling. And he had all his relatives on the popcorn machines and yeah. all this, and all this, and and uh, I did Kismet for him. I did a little Abner for him. I did, and it didn't matter if he if he had heard if I did a number that he liked. It had nothing to do with the show we were doing. He'd say, Carol, why don't you? He'd say, Mildred, yeah, my Mildred. Name is still Mildred. Uh, Mildred, why don't you put that number right in the middle of Kismet? <laughs> I would do a number called Red Hot Mama. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough to kill you right there. But 
the audiences loved him and they loved it. It was it was hysterical. Yeah, I had heard stories, but this is true. This oh, is yeah. true. He would put in other numbers and oh, all that. Oh yes, <laughs> and and ask you to do it. I mean, he ran amok with the, that. But it was like Brigadoon and and um, Oklahoma. It was like Ado Annie. Uh, they were all the kind of the same. Part. Yeah, yeah. The further adventures of Ado Annie in <laughs> Scotland. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know, it, it was that kind of thing. But, but I did, I did jillions of, yeah. of musicals, and so that's some of them good, some of them bad. But that's where I really learned. That's where you on. learned your craft. Yeah, you didn't learn it, it in it a. The technique of lunch yeah. and going out every night. And, and we don't really have that so much anymore. No, and that's why I don't know we I don't know where people learn it. Uh, you can't sit at home. My husband and I do a lot of master classes mm-hmm. in universities and I go, I don't know you can't just sit and expect the phone to ring. You you say you're an actor. Unlike painters who can paint a picture, you may never sell one, but you can do that. You can. It's hard to act all alone in a room. Yeah. You can't do that. And you you've got to get you've got to do workshops. You have to do something like that. Because you call yourself an actor, you've got to act to learn. Yeah. You know. It has and to be in front of an audience, oh, yeah. not just, you know, sitting in a classroom yeah, somewhere. you've got to learn to work an audience. Yeah. Uh, especially in comedy, because you do, in comedy, you do depend on an audience to be with you. I mean, I need to hear them. I need to hear yeah. them. Um, not so much doing Medea. <laughs> <laughs> if they're laughing in Medea, there's a problem. You're... <laughs> You're in big <laughs> In fact, I was in Warren, Ohio, doing Kismet when Lucille Ball called me. That's where, that's where the change in my in my life. Came. How did Lucille Ball, if you, excuse my ignorance, know who you were and how to contact you? <laughs> she didn't have a clue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just lucky, I guess. Yeah. Um, she was uh, the background that she was had a group. She was getting a divorce from Desi. Mm-hmm. Now, this is unbeknownst to me. I yeah. mean, I had. Uh, she, and to do something with her time, she decided to have a bunch of young people around her, and they would finally do a show on the studio lot, a review. And uh, that was that's what was happening in Hollywood. So she was putting together an acting company? Uh, well, she paid them each 50 bucks a week, and they would do scenes, and then they were all going... They weren't under contract, but... Okay. That she did it really to give herself something to do. And and uh, the little theater that was on the lot had been the, the little theater that was there when she had been uh, just a bit player there, and Ginger Rogers was the star, and to keep Ginger Rogers' mother, Leela Rogers, out of their hair... The suits, the men at the top, gave Leela this little theater and said, teach the young people that we have under contract. And Lucille Ball was one of those people. And Ginger was the big star. And that was RKO. And then later on, they bought it, and it became Desilu. So that's what Lucy was doing. Unbeknownst, you know, that that was Hollywood. So I'm out in uh, 
Warren, Ohio. And again, no cell phones, my darling. And uh, over the loudspeaker, I was in rehearsal. And I was playing La Lune. Again, that's where the tits enter. My whole, my whole conversation. You know, your tits came on about four feet before you did. Not a truck, too. And, uh, well, if you don't have an act, you just fluff them up and you go on. So, the uh, phone rang. They said, Mildred Cook, the phone, and come to the phone. So, the director said, you can go to the phone. So as I was going out, the voice on the monitor sounded very excited and said, uh, it's Lucille Ball calling from Hollywood, California. Well, I went, no shit. <laughs> I thought it was a joke. Yeah. I mean, Lucille Ball, I don't think so. Went to the phone. A um, guy was on the phone named Dick Coleman. He'd been an acquaintance of mine in New York. Um, not a close friend. In fact, I'm sure he... They had tried to find me. He didn't even know where I, I was. I was out in the stock. But he was one of the members. He was a member of that group of kids that she had together that were doing that. She was sitting around with him and and Bob Osborne. Yeah. Bob Osborne, the famous Bob Osborne. And he was a member of the group. He was an actor then. And she said, we have a lot of people in our group, but there's no comedian that fills the bill, whatever that meant. And he said, gee, there's a girl I knew in New York named Mildred Cook, and I don't know where she is now, but I think you'd like her. Well, to make a long story even longer, they went, they called Equity, they got my phone number, and they started calling my apartment building. I was lucky there. See, luck. The guy, it was a switchboard there, a switchboard, and the guy on the switchboard happened to like me because Dick said, this is Dick Coleman, Lucille Ball is trying to find Mildred Cook. Instead of saying she's out in summer stock, which I was, yeah. he had no idea where I was. He said he was so thrilled to hear it was Lucy. He went to the corner, got a magazine that had listing up every summer stock place on the East Coast, and there were dozens. Yeah. And he called every one of them until he found me and called them back and said, she's in Warren, Ohio, doing kismet for John Kenley. They called me then out there, and that's how luck can What happen. an amazing story. Yeah. And, uh, and Dick said, and uh, we're doing this uh, review, and Miss Ball would like for you to come out uh, and audition, and then you can go back to your next job. Uh, it, it was two weeks it would be over. And so I said, oh, okay. And he said, now here's Miss Ball now. She wants to say hello. Well, <laughs> your mother here went a little bananas. <laughs> I mean, I was really nervous. And so when I said goodbye to her, I went, I didn't know whether to say Mrs. Arnaz or Miss Ball. So I said, well, I'll see you on Sunday, Miss R. Balls. <laughs> and from then on, she always signed everything to me, Miss R. Balls. <laughs> I just didn't know whether Arnaz or Balls. So I said R. Balls. So that that was my first time to talk to Lucy. Uh -huh. And I came out here, auditioned for her, and... Uh, 
that that was kind of like a movie because I wasn't a nightclub comedian. I played yeah. the funny parts in musicals. Yeah. But she thought I was going to come in and uh, have, uh, like, numbers, you know, quick Yeah, her. yeah. I didn't. I didn't. And the audition did not go well. But that night, Dick Coleman, Bob Osborne, Lucy and myself went out for dinner. I was catching the plane back to Cohasset, <laughs> Massachusetts, for the next days. And uh, she started talking to me. And I knew it had not gone well. But I thought, I don't care. I want Broadway anyway. Broadway! <laughs> you know. And so I was a little hurt. But she said... Um, Tell me where you come from. So I started talking about, well, you saw me in at 54 Below. It's those stories that yeah. I told Lucy. I mean, not all of them, but some of them. Yeah. That I told her about my mean grandmother and all of everything that happened to me uh, growing up. And we all have those experiences. They're not funny when they're happening to you, but they're funny when you tell them. Yeah. And uh, she thought, that was great and funny. She said, "You've got to, you've got to tell those stories." Well, it took me fifty years. I'm a slow <laughs> freaking study, but um, that won her over. St another rut of good luck. If we hadn't gone out for dinner that night, it yeah. would have been over. And at the end of the evening, she said, "I wanted you to come out here to do the show," and I went. And she said. And I know you've had your name Mildred for a long time, and we all love having our names, and we're very protective of our name. But I wonder if you'd change your name. Yes, I said. <laughs> yes. I can be, stay with the money, honey. <laughs> so I said, yes. And she sa I said, what would you like to change it to? She said, Carol. And I said, why Carol? For Carol Lombard. There was a famous actress named Carol Lombard, married to Clark Gable. Yeah. And Lucy wrote on the tablecloth, which I, she worshipped Carol Lombard. Now, she was not saying my talent was up to Carol Lombard's, but she was saying my attitude was a lot. She worshipped Carol Lombard, and she liked what Carol Lombard was in person, kind of. And she wrote on the tablecloth, you, Mildred Francis, and Carol Lombard, have the same healthy disrespect for everything in general. <laughs> I took that as a compliment. That is a compliment. And I wish now I'd kept that tablecloth. Yeah. <laughs> and she wrote Carol on the tablecloth a lot of ways. Um, with an E, without an E, with a K. She did it all sorts of ways. I would kill to have that tablecloth. Absolutely. What's What was it like being mentored by Lucille Ball? Would you consider it a mentorship, a friendship? Uh, it was both. It was na both. Naturally. Um, but, and I was, it wasn't like I was, you know, 12 years old. And she, so I was already, I was formed. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but she became my mentor and my, it, you know, my biggest fan, you know. Yeah. And that, that kind. Then she put me under contract and uh, uh, for a series it was all of that time also that um, that I was put under contract to Warner Brothers for two pictures a year. 
and uh, so so just so I'm clear, you had a contract with Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers, and, and with Desilu. Oh my pictures gosh, with Warner Brothers, and TV for uh, Desilu. Now, meanwhile, I had met Tom. Yeah. yeah. Well, now, how did you and Tom meet? Well, um, I went to Bob Osborne. Here we go again. Yeah. Bob Osborne. And I went to see a play called The Caretaker by John Osborne, British British play, and there are only three men in it, and. Uh, Bob Osborne took me to see the play. I didn't know Tom. He did. I knew Ray Strickland, another young actor, mm. fabulous actor, was in the play. So off we went to the play. And I remember thinking very well uh, to this day, I thought, Tom Troop, I thought that actor is one of the best actors, the best actor I've ever seen. I'll tell you why. Rob, he didn't seem to be doing anything. You know how yeah. most actors, you go, great voice, so they move oh, great, yeah. or they better, and that's all good. He didn't seem to be doing anything obvious, but the end result was theatrical. Yeah. I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> and Are you going to tell her, Tom? Tom says maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> And uh, I'm still trying to, we've been married 54 <laughs> years, yeah. and people said it was, and I've never thought of divorce. Hey. No, murder, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, yes. But, and the same for him. But, and when we got married, Bob Osborne was our best man. Now, Lucy was, oh, she loved Tom. She liked him better than me, really. And so I decided I would, I thought, I'm getting married, and we went to uh, the minister to get him to uh, you know, do the nuptials at all. And he asked me, he said, uh, this is not your first marriage, is it, Miss Cook? I said, yes, I just look like I've been around the block a couple of times. It's my husband who, to be that's been around the block. And, and I decided that I would try to look virginal for the festivities. I decided to wear no makeup. My idea was that I looked like Grace Kelly. Yeah. I looked just like the ghost of Christmas <laughs> past. I mean, Tom lifted the veil. He had no idea who it was. <laughs> it was like uh, 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 Patty Duke in the Miracle oh, Worker. Yeah. <laughs> he, he went, Carol? Carol? He couldn't even tell who it was. And then... Something really fabulous happened, and I had to make a decision. That you want me to tell this? Yes. Oh, oh yes. Okay. You're yeah. not bored, Spitless, are you? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding no. me? No. Um, Mike Stewart, who wrote Hello, Dolly, um, in the book, to Hello, Dolly, to Jerry Herman, called and said, Carol, they're looking for... Uh, for someone to go to Australia, only Carol Channing has played Hello Dolly. She'd been in a year. And everybody in the world is home. But I think someday you will play it. So I want you to come in. And I want you to audition for the big time first. And you will play it down the road. But I think he thought, you know, yeah. you have a shot. So it was at Christmas. So Tom said, you've got to go in. So I went in, and I auditioned for Hello, Dolly that afternoon. And I went to see the show that night. 
And it was entirely different from what I thought. Well, you know, oh, people yeah. in history. I'd done uh, The Matchmaker, mm-hmm. but The Dolly and The Matchmaker is very different. As The oh. Dolly in The Merchant of Yonkers yeah. is different from, you know, it's yeah. like, it's like Lilium and Green Grow the Lilacs mm-hmm. and Oklahoma. Yes. It, and for a minute, that that for a little bit that threw me because I'd done the matchmaker and it's Dolly Levi mm-hmm. and that, but it's very different from yep. the star of a musical comedy. And so that night, I went to see Carol Channing, and she was brilliant. It was fabulous. I I just thought. Oh my God! If one day I get to to play it, and uh, I thought those are big shoes to follow, Carol Channing, fabulous. She was fabulous. So anyway, um, I auditioned uh, the next day again. They had me read and sing again. Then I flew back home. I was doing a small part on the Lucy show because I was doing that while they were writing a, yep. sc- a script for me, a series, and doing my movies at Warner Brothers. The Incredible Mr. Lippitt and Palm Springs Weekend. Mm-hmm. I'd done those two. And uh, I'm in rehearsal on the lot and Lucy on the Lucy show. And they said, Carol, you wanted on the phone, and they said, "Oh, you'll have to." We were on in the big sound stage, so they they're sort of like football stadiums. You know, they had the seating. Right. They said you'll have to take the phone call underneath the bleachers. I said, "Fine." They said, "Take it far away because you won't be able to hear." So I went over to the phone. I said, "Hello," and they and I said, "This is Carol." And at the other end of the line was Gower Champion. Oh. Hello, Dolly. Well, hello. And then Mike Stewart. It's so good. Nice to have you back where you belong. And then the two of them. You're looking swell, Dolly. Now, that was very theatrical. Wow. I mean, and that's how I knew I had it. They called me to the phone. I was under the bleachers. On a studio, and then I panicked because I thought, "Be careful what you wish for; you yep. may get it." Because I had problems here. I mean, I was under contract to two two studios. Yeah. So let's put it this way, Rob: I groveled. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, cried, offered money, yes. my body. Yep. They didn't take my body. <laughs> they said we wouldn't touch that with a ten foot pole. We know where it's been. Um, anyway, uh, they, uh, Lucy, well, anyway, negotiations happened. And I finally, it was it was difficult. Yeah. To, both contracts had to be gotten out of. And I had to do a lot of promising when I came back. Yeah. But, of course, they didn't know I was going to be gone. Yeah. A year and a half, two years. It was such a... So, for me, it was, I know, even today, people say, oh, you were signed for movies and a series, and you took Australia and Hello, Dolly. 
And you know what? I'd still do it again that yeah. way. And because you never know. But that's I mean, and that's what your heart was. Your heart that's was where musical my heart comedy. Was. And uh, sure, I might, I might, I might have been here and sat on my ass for two years yeah. too, you know. But but it, I certainly had a good shot. Pictures at Warner Brothers and and a series for Desilu. But to play Dolly, and remember, it was mammoth. At yes. That time. yes, only only Carol. And she just been, it was only a year old when I got it. And so I went to Australia. And Tom had to finish up. I don't know what we were thinking. We thought, oh, he'll come down every month and say <laughs> hello. You don't come down every freaking month to Australia. <laughs> I mean, it takes you about a month to get yeah. over the trip. <laughs> but um, he did come down a couple of times. And then he said, this isn't working and he came down and uh, stayed with me the whole time. And uh, his teacher in New York had been Uta Hagen oh. and all that. So he was a great, uh, knew teaching so well and a great teacher. So he taught all classes for all of my kids that were in the show. Oh, and, wow. And he did it, you know, just for free. And they gave little, you know, recitals and everything. So... And they loved him. He became their mentor. Yeah. All of, yeah. You know, there were so many people in that. And they'd never had that kind of training, you know. And so it was fulfilling, you know, from both of our standpoints. Yeah. You know. What a great use of your time, Tom. Yeah. yeah. You enjoyed it? Yeah. Yeah. And they really, they just loved him, mm. you know. I mean, they, and it, I don't know. There we were, the Polish Lunds, dude. Yeah. <laughs> the Polish lunch, I love that. But uh, Dolly was certainly, from my standpoint, career-wise, uh, well, Tom and I have done um, The Lion in Winter together. Yep. We've done Gin Game. We've done Father's Day. And those have been high points in my career. The fact, because that's what the lunch did. Yeah. I thought that was fabulous. Yeah. And, but certainly Dolly would be one of the for me, one of the glowing, I mean, to get to do that part every night, you know. Was your was your Dolly different than her Dolly? I'm sure it was because, I mean, you're two totally separate performers. But uh, only in that we, I'm Carol Cook and she's Carol Channing. Yeah. Um, because I was the second Dolly, the um, um, Palmer was her name. She came from Australia, head choreographer, was in New York. For four months learning the exact choreography, every uh, Fred Hebert, who was David Merrick's sidekick, uh, came down there to direct. It had to be done exactly verbatim, like because it was the second yeah. production. So they were extremely protective. I mean, I didn't have to do Carol Channing. Yeah, but uh, choreography. Um, all of that uh, set costumes, uh, and my costume were a little different. If I, if, if there was something that fit my body better than hers, but it was all pretty wit tops. Yeah. Um, it, yes, it was uh, a replica, except except that I'm Dolly. So as far as I'm different from Carol Channing, my Dolly was Carol Cook, hers was Carol Channing, yeah. and the final night of Dolly, I've been with them so long that 
uh, in Australia and New Zealand. We closed in New Zealand. They throw streamers, and by then, people get tickets for the final night, and they've seen you do it probably <laughs> two or three times already. So they know every line you're going yep. to say. So I was trying to be the grand old lady <laughs> of the theater. I said, remember, no matter what happens, darlings, we play the play. We don't, we don't go with all this shouting. I mean, we love it, but we, <laughs> we play the play. Well, honey, I put down the paper, you know, yep. I put down a newspaper, which is my opening, and I go, Dolly Levi. Well, it went on for, and I thought, hold it, Carol, you must not do <laughs> So I held it until we got to the Hello, Dolly number, and there's a set encore where Dolly turns to the boys, the audience is screaming, <coughs> and says, you know, one more time. And I turned, and like a real idiot, I said, my darlings, for the last time in our lives. Well, they all started crying. I started crying, <laughs> and I made the ul ugly cry, you know. <laughs> so I turned around. I was trying to look gorgeous, and yeah. I went, hello, darling, <laughs> in the face. Uh, but it was an extremely, and I, I let everybody in the company on closing night take their solo bow oh. on the passerelle, on that walkway oh. that yeah. goes by the orchestra. They, every bit, everyone in the company, I had them all walk. walk. Everybody got to walk that, like Dolly Wow. It was so... That's magical. It was, it was. And that whole thing was magical. So where do you go from there? That that's, Straight that's down. <laughs> no. That's a pretty high place. Yeah, it is. It's yes. It you could is. retire on that. I'm assuming yeah. be happy. It, so where do you, so what's next for you then after that? But I came back and then I started doing a lot of television. You had you had to come back. And, oh oh well yeah. the show closed. Yeah yeah. That, but con contractually were you supposed to come back and finish the things you had left behind? Oh, or? oh yeah. But yeah. but that had only lasted a year. I was gone over. Oh there. okay. So, okay. Uh, so that was over. Yeah. That, which, again, was fine. Yeah. I got to play Dolly and Tom, and I got to be there. So, you know, it, it, it was fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. That's who I am. That's what I did. And uh, so I came in. Then I started doing television. Then I started getting calls to come to New York to do, like, um, romantic comedy. Yes. And, uh, and that's I got to work with the darling Mia Farrow. I got to tell you this, it's yeah. darling, because she is a precious person. I just love her, but you know she has a, a thousand children. Yes, you know, <laughs> and uh, and all kinds and stars. Of, and she came in my dressing room one night. She said, "Carol, she only had nine children then." <laughs> and she said, "I'm thinking of of um, getting another child. What do you think I ought to get?" I said, "Something in beige." <laughs> And she did, and she did. <laughs> oh my dear! Well, oh, we oh we my had laughs. That's all I can tell you. And I, Anthony Perkins was in this too. Anthony right? Perkins was there. Strange person. That's what I've heard. I think yeah. Psycho went to his head. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think that had a profound effect on him. So we ask everybody this: What was your go-to audition song? Did you have a go-to audition? One, yes, yep. that Mike Stewart wrote. I did for Hello, Dolly. It's the, in fact, 
I prob- me yes, I will tell it because it was Please. sweet. It, it, Baba's way. It's the only song I had, and it was an original called Red Hot Mama. Mike Stewart had a friend who wrote the uh, music, but he wrote the lyrics. Early on, gave me the piece. It was mine. He wrote it for. Me. It's the only number I had. I would sing that, and it's it's a catchy number. But I'm just a red hot mama, red dash hot day mama, comma. I'm not <laughs> so fresh on the stalk. And it, anyway, it's a, it is. A cute, I like it. It's a cute number. So Bob Osborne would take me to auditions all the time. I didn't have a car out here when I first came. And I'd sing that number. And he would go, oh, God. And he heard that number a million times. <laughs> when our darling Bob was very ill and was dying uh, just a few months ago, um, I was Tom and I were on the phone, and we're, you know, we're, yeah. we're torn up about it. And he's saying, no, it's fine, it's fine. And I said, Bob, it's a... What is there anything you want to say to us or tell me something? I was really, it was a lifelong friend. And Bob did something so Bob that I couldn't stand it. I said, just tell me, do you have anything? Let's talk. Don't don't hang up. He said, yes, there is something you can do, Carol. I said, what? He said, don't ever sing Red Hot Mama again. (laughs) Now, is that brilliant? That's him. Yeah. And he laughed. He laughed his, I laughed my ass off, yeah. but I wish I had laughed it off. But, uh, but he, I mean, is that brilliant? Yeah. Yeah. And then he laughed. He said, <laughs> we got to laugh, Carol. We got to laugh. When he said, don't ever sing. <laughs> so, I, I didn't promise, though. So. No, you didn't promise. No. It's okay. So, yeah, here, they may call me tomorrow for something. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll have to do that. This episode is made possible by PwC. When unprecedented times are all the time, it's time to start walking the talk. Leaders like you turn to PwC to see and stay ahead. Upskill your workforce, use intelligent automation, and transform big ideas into breakthrough outcomes. Explore the human-led, tech-powered solutions that help you thrive. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. And, uh, but I did ask out of, um, <laughs> Martin Gottlieb was mm-hmm. our producer. How did you get into 42nd Street? I'll tell you how that happened. Uh, Mike Stewart, I was uh, walking by the, um, well, in all Broadway theaters, they have somebody, he can be 18 years old, but they call him Pop. Yeah, And Pop. he sits in there at the stage door. It can be a kid 18. They say, hi, Pop. <laughs> anyway, I was walking by. Now, I remember this for cell phones and all. So there was a, a phone hanging there in the hallway. And it rang, and I picked it up as um, I was finished. I was going on stage for the bows. And it was Mike Stewart. And now I knew he was getting ready to do a 42nd Street uh, with Jerry Herman again. And I knew that, but it's like when you know somebody, and they know you. I'd done Dolly for a man. I'd done. Oh yeah, he was one of my best, best friends, a brilliant, heaven man, and uh, 
so you don't say to him, is there anything for me in that? If there is, he'll tell you. You don't. Yeah. So I never, I never said, I knew they were doing it, and that's that. And he said, Carol, this is, is Mike. I said, yeah. And he said, are you anywhere where you can talk? I said, well, I'm just going on stage for the bath. He said, well, we've just been in a meeting with Gower Champion. And Gower said, the writers of the show within the show, the two writers of 42nd Street in the show, uh, are two men. The characters are two men. He said, let's change one to a woman and let's get Carol Cook. Oh! I, the phone went clank. I mean, I went, he said, that was Gower's idea, Carol. I never would have thought of that. I mean, but he couldn't wait to yeah. tell me. He said, so you're going to get a call. And uh, so I got the call. And uh, and that's how I got 42nd Street. Oh, my gosh. What what was this like? I but heard there was, was lots uh, of changes. Yeah. and Because uh, well, we opened the Kennedy Center. Yeah. And even then, uh, Gower um, had a form. Of, now, this I'm probably saying it medically wrong, but a form of leukemia, but mm-hmm. nothing... That were not near death. I mean, yeah. he was functioning. He was always at rehearsal. Yeah. But he would go to Bethesda in Washington, D.C. and um, have a blood transfusion. Mm-hmm. But he had lived with it for years. And yeah. That, and he was always there, dancing or whatever. And um, so when we got into New York, David Merrick, who was a madman, you know, sly like a fox. Oh, yeah, yeah. when I asked Crazy you about him later, yeah. But uh, publicity was his thing, and uh, but he he drew a line at certain things, and uh, so David Merrick brought us in to New York, and he did not want the New York Times critic to come before official opening night, and he was afraid he was going to slip in and see the show, and I'm telling you, Rob, for several nights for this and. Uh, they oh they told us that Gower it was only about four days before the opening Gower was in the hospital but everything was fine and he would be back he'd be there probably for a second night yeah probably wouldn't be there but while we're doing our shows before pre-opening David Merrick would put a sign or have somebody out front saying, due to technical difficulties, there will be no show tonight. We, 42nd Street people, we did them for a while with full audiences. Then he stopped right before we opened for about four nights. And we would do the show full out. Costumes, everything. Costumes, orchestra, everything. No audience. And he would sit there. He was the only one in the auditorium in a wingback chair like that one, like the Grand Tsar of Russia, and we would do the show full out, full out. It's very creepy. Yeah. It, it, it's very, so, in fact, Barbara Cook used to tell it in her act. She said, Carol Cook, which I did. I said to everybody in the cast, bring an 8 by 10 glossy of yourself. Or a little teddy bear. Because everybody in that show was 18 years <laughs> old. You know, they, 
they had to get off for days sometime to go to graduation from high school. And so they were all, and so we put them all in the seats all over the theater so it looked like a crowd. And we played the stuffed animals and eight by ten glossies. This is and bizarre. Anything to cheer us up. And before that happened, though, when we were doing full-out performances with an audience, twice we had bomb scares. That's when David Merritt, because people accused him of doing it to get pu- published. Yeah. He said, I wouldn't do that. People would get hurt. Yeah, and he, mm. he really got angry about that. But so we did all of this. So opening night, they called us in early for rehearsal. And we thought, that's odd, because you start early anyway. And we got there, and they didn't rehearse anything. We were just called in. And we were wearing badges by that time, because he was like a maniac about not letting anybody see that show till we opened. And we came in, and the uh, show started. We, they'd said, Gower will not be there. He'll probably be there second night. We go out. And, I mean, it was going like a house of fire. I mean, they loving. And it was full of Bob Fosse and all Josh Logan. It was theater crowd. Tom was in the third row center with Ethel Merman, our friend Ethel Merman, whom I'd gotten, we'd gotten to know very well, was our great friend. She's sitting in the third row. But it was fabulous. So at the, and Tom had said, he told me later, they tried to go out at intermission, and they said the doors were jammed, and they couldn't let people out. Now, what had happened, again, no cell phones. They didn't want people going out of the theater because they would hear the news about Gower. Out. Well, I'll tell you, yeah. because Gower had died that afternoon. And David Merrick, remember, no cell phones. So they could keep it a secret. Now, they, you couldn't keep it a yeah. secret. Yeah. And somebody would tell sooner or later anyway, and they did. But the West Coast people would hear about it, the newspaper people, and be waiting out front of the theater at intermission and start telling everybody when they came out yeah. for intermission. Yeah. Nobody <coughs> knew it. Audience didn't know it. We didn't know it. Everything's going along beautifully. Big smash, you could tell. And intermission, fabulous. We're all backstage. Hey, I had a quick change right before the bows. I went off stage to go into the quick change room where you change your clothes, dropped my dress and looked around. David Merrick was in the quick change room, Not didn't look up, had his hand like this on his chin, looked very dour, very sad, pensive. And I thought, I thought, what can he be sad about? They're screaming. So I turned into Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland in front of your very eyes, which is not that attractive. As I went out, you could just throw up. I said, gee, Miss Jim, I think it's going great. You know, and um, he never looked up. Went on stage. We're taking our vows. Got to about 15, 16th curtain call. And all of a sudden, the audience is screaming. They're standing up. David Merrick's 
walks out on stage right, comes out, and the audience goes wild. And again, he looks very, but that was his humor, black humor. Yeah. You know? So he looked very serious. And then he screams, screams, he held up his hand, and he said, I have an announcement. Again, they scream, because they thought he was going to say, we're only going to run 10 or 15 years. Yeah. You know, that was that kind of, and everything, and we all are applauding and everything. And they scream, he said, no, no, you don't understand. And again, they yelled. And then he said, Gower Champion died this afternoon. You could have heard a pin drop. We were stunned. I remember thinking at the time, I thought, oh my God, why is he telling us this with the audience looking at us here? But then I realized they were stunned as we were. Those were his friends. They yeah. were, you know. In fact, they said Bob Fosse said afterwards, he said, I had to do a movie about it. Gower lived it. Mm -hmm. You know, dying. Yeah. And then quiet. Quiet. It seemed forever. And I remember I put my arms around the ingenue. I brought her out because I thought she might go, whoo, you know. Yeah. So I <laughs> dug my nails into her, like, don't move. In just a few minutes, Jerry Arbach, who played the director in the show, stepped forward and said the line he says at the end of Act One in 42nd Street when he has to close, the, bring down the curtain because a star has broken her leg. Jerry stepped forward in that silence and said, bring in the curtain. And the curtain was not digitally done then. It was came down slowly, slowly. And as it came down, we just watched. And it hit. And right before it hit, you heard Ethel Merman in that voice of hers say, well, if you got to go, that's the way to go. Oh. And then, thud, the curtain hit. And then all hell broke loose. Yeah. You know, people didn't know whether to come backstage, not to come back. Your, your, you know, Tom came back and our yeah. relatives, but people didn't come back. On my, my, my dressing room door, knock, knock, knock. I opened the door. Andy Warhol, who was, when I first knew him, Andy Warhol was just kind of like this little yeah. sissy boy with the blonde yeah. hair. Now he's Andy Warhol, white hair. White. He was standing there, and he said, lovely things about the, sh you know, now you, Carol, you were whatever. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. I loved it. I'll see you again. I reached over, kissed him on each cheek, turned, and wafted away. And that was so surreal. Rob, do you get yeah, that? I, know. I mean, yep. all that whiteness. Yes. And Andy Warhol, whom I had not seen 
for several years. And he'd become what he'd become in the meantime. And for him to come back and nobody, it was kind of creepy. Yeah. <laughs> it was. What a bizarre experience. But it was, uh, it was, it was an amazing. You, if I tell you what, if you put that in a movie or in a show, they go, uh, nope. over the top, too much. Nobody would believe it. No, they, they go, too much. Mm-mm. Don't do that. Is that something? That's incredible. Incredible. How long were you with 42nd Street? I played it a year. <laughs> oh, here we go again. Then I asked out to go to a movie called in Greece called Summer Lovers mm-hmm. uh, uh, for Randall Kleiser, who, who directed the movie Greece, as a matter of fact. So I went to Greece, and uh, I was the first one to leave. And I remember when... I, they said you'll have to go now. My contract was for one. Everybody's for one year, so I felt okay about going to tell him. I mean, I had I yeah. was legitimate. I like the others. I was asking out yeah. early, but that was legitimate. Well, when I said Mr. Mayor got me over this movie, and and then he went, "You'll never work for me again. Get out of here." And I well, big old tears started coming down. I turned. And he said, but you will play it for me in Los Angeles. <laughs> and I went, that son of a bitch, I'll kill him. I said, and I'll did, think right? about it. And so, uh, anyway, I, so I played it a year there. I played it a year here. And then um, with my buddy Leroy Reams, who was, uh, and, and a lot of them, but mostly my buddy Leroy Reams. Oh, yeah. Uh, my, we my love better, Leroy. My better half. <laughs> we love him. And uh, anyway, uh, so uh, we went to Tokyo, oh, and yeah. uh, and and we uh, played it in Tokyo, you know, for the, where they didn't understand one damn word we <laughs> said, and and we kept, and, and at the end they go like we had been a rock concert, but meanwhile it had been utter silence. I went, where the frig were you when I needed you? Yeah, you that's know? what I hear. I hear they don't applaud, or it's a very like no. minimal polite yeah. applause and at the end. For, it, it, I'll tell you, that's why they took 47. You don't really have to know the story. You can watch that show and pretty much tell what's going on. Yes, yeah. You know, you star breaks leg, girl goes on, and you know, and all that. Were you there for the opening night of Woman of the Year? That was Leroy and myself, my darling. Would you tell us the story? Yes. And we want to hear it from your point of view. Yes, because he leaves out one of the most important things. That was Leroy. I know that they think that story is like made up, or a lot of people uh, told in the Ethel Merman book. Yeah. They, they, no, it was Leroy and moi. Tell it. Okay. Hit it. Okay. It was the first uh, opening night of Woman of the Year with the ever popular Lauren Bacall, <laughs> who we're never sure about. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, I, I said, Leroy, I have three tickets to the show. I want you to go. We're going to take Ethel Merman and moi. Tom was working. He was in the show. So off we go. And I uh, call Ethel Merman. So we take the limo and we go in. She has a bad cold. And in the limo, she says, now I have a bad cold. Here are some cough drops. She said, unwrap them now. And she gave me a handful of them. 
She put a Kleenex down and put it in it, and she handed Leroy. She said, if I cough or even start to cough, give me a cough drop. I don't want you rip me. So we're fine. So everybody sees Ethel Merman coming into the damn theater. Leroy and I are on each side of her, and we're sitting there, and everybody's going, Ethel Merman, Ethel Merman, Ethel Merman. And uh, Lauren Bacall comes out, big applause, and she gets the end of the number called I'm the woman of the I'm the woman of the year. And she goes, I'm the woman of the Yeah <laughs> and it, it just splatters blue paint everywhere. <laughs> you know, I mean it's just like that. And Ethel Merman says in an Ethel Merman voice, Jesus Christ <laughs> and she screams Jesus. Leroy and I took the cough drops and both of them shoved them in her <laughs> mouth. And when she went, <coughs> Jesus <coughs> <laughs> we gave her too many cough drops. <laughs> I mean that, and that's a true story. He leaves out that part of the story. And it's the cough drops, which I don't. That's know, hysterical. I, it's the cough drops, which she gave him a bunch. I mean, and she went Jesus, and we did it. She went Christ, because <laughs> <laughs> she didn't. But Jesus, everybody heard. <laughs> then we did this, and the the rest was muddled. It was like Jesus. <laughs> He leaves out the we best part of the story. <laughs> um, I want to ask you about your activism um, in, yeah. in terms of, you know, you were one of the first artists to help get help for those that were afflicted with HIV and AIDS yes. at a time when a lot of people were not willing to help. Um, how did you get involved with being so passionate about finding a cure and helping those in need? 1984, 42nd Street out here. A kid in the company had it. No name for it. The plague. Gay disease. The, uh, it was called all sorts of things. Gay cancer was one gay of the, Gay cancer. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to think of, all right. Tom and I, by the way, he came from a well-to-do family. Father and mother disowned him. I told Tom, and we didn't, we really didn't know what we were, naturally, we didn't know what we were dealing with. That was, and um, everybody was afraid of him. And I I must say, not because I knew anything, I'm, I know, I know nothing, but I never thought, I always thought they, the ones who had it, would be the sickly, well, I never thought, they could pass it on to, to me. Remember, there was a big thing about kissing anybody. Oh that, yeah, and all of that. I never. In fact, when our friends, then we were hit. We we lost a generation, Rob. We lost a generation of talented, talented people. So it began to hit home with us. And at that time, there was there was nowhere to go to get help. I mean, so Tom and myself and and about seven other people, Billy Barnes, I couldn't name them all, else, all went in together because people we know, good friends, were diagnosed with it. And we knew if one got it, his partner was going to get it. And we all pooled our money once a month, and we knew how much each, some people couldn't, whatever you could afford, $10 a month, 
somebody else 20, 50, whatever, but we knew we had X amount all together, you know, and we divided it up with the people who were sick. There was no agency to go to. Yeah. And took care of their dogs, Arkansas. It was, I tell you, just so sad I can hardly. And when we go to the hospital to see people, they put us in, um, you know, heavy. Like, like the hazmat but stuff, yeah. that wasn't yeah. to protect us. That was to protect them, mm. the patient, for us getting, because mm. they had no immune system. So that was to protect the patient, not us. I mean, yeah. we were fine, you know. Um, it started out very personally, like your good friends. And you knew if one of them died, if they had a partner, yeah. they were both in it. And that... And I was out here then, and we started, but that's what we did. I remember us going to that park uh, over here on, uh, it doesn't matter, off of Hollywood Boulevard. And we met there one day. We brought picnic lunch, and we all decided how much everybody sure. could put in. And it varied, but that yeah. didn't matter. You know, We needed to know kind of how much we would have. So it started... Hands on, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, in your living room, and the benefit that David Galligan started with um, uh, two other guys, um, it's called Stage. We did. We just closed down this year, thirty-two years. I think I only missed two. I, wow! If I was in New York or uh, playing somewhere, I always said, "May I have that weekend off to come?" Because I. But uh, there were several of them wouldn't let me out or whatever. <laughs> so, um, oh, what was my point about? Oh, um, when Put we started stage, still did not have a name for it. The gay disease again, the plague, the uh, uh, we charged ten bucks, and people say, "What's this for?" We say, "We're doing a little show." <laughs> we didn't know. We were just making money for our friends. That's all we were doing. I mean, we weren't. Uh, I mean, we weren't making the money for research or anything. We're feeding people. Yeah. And uh, and and it was hands on Southern California, and uh, so we charged ten bucks. And uh, Bernstein was uh, Leonard Bernstein was our first. And then we, we started in, we did it 32 years. And we went from, how much time was, I, I don't know. We, we finally got, at the, at the very peak of it, we did four performances a weekend. Friday, two Saturday, and one Sunday. Mm -hmm. And we filled the auditorium. And then we, we charged, I think it was 150. Yeah. And we started doing uh, receptions after so and uh, uh, auctions, and and we made millions yeah. over the over the year. And we were still hands on. We weren't like, I mean, thank God we had the Elizabeth Taylors who had mm -hmm. who had the people <coughs> who donated millions. 
we were doing hundreds, yeah. <laughs> hundreds of dollars and thousands. Yeah. We weren't in the mi- but they did the research. They had the millions to do. But we fed and clothed and rent and uh, hands on. It's incredible. Because it's and it seemed nobody was helping. Saw, nobody was helping really except artists nobody. helping other artists. The no. government didn't want to get involved. No. Yeah. Reagan, I don't think, ever said the term until at the very end. I think somebody said he... Yeah, at the, yeah, at the end. At the, yeah, I think he finally... Yeah. He went, <coughs> AIDS. Yeah. You know. But it was hands-on and away, away and on, on the level we could manage. Yeah. You know? Well, bless you for doing it because oh. it saved so many lives and helped so many people. And, and you just closed down after 32 years. 32 years. What a great yeah. run. What and a great legacy. From Angela Lansbury, Carol Chaney... Uh, Bernadette Peters, uh, uh, you know, every, uh, yeah, all, everybody, you know, well, and I'd all the Broadway, all our oh Broadway, sure, all our Broadway babies that right now are, you know, with yeah. us. In fact, we have a a club here that Charlotte Ray started, darling. Oh, and about three years ago, and it's all of us broads that are. I'm just a Broadway <laughs> baby. And what? Oh, it was, and they're all of us, and it's all of us, and we meet the first Tuesday of every month at a little restaurant here, our favorite restaurant, D'Etoile, on uh, West Hollywood, on Santa uh-huh. Monica. They're not allowed to, all the guys in there, nobody's allowed to come over to us, because, uh-uh, no, they're not by that, mm-hmm. because, I mean, there's, if a bomb fell, they'd knock out all of anybody over 60 in <laughs> show business, and... And, but we sit there, and we tell fabulous stories. We have, um, uh, I went to the owner, and I said, now we want Tom, his name is Tom, and I said, and I love that restaurant, I'm the queen of that restaurant, too. <laughs> it's it's our cheers, isn't it, Tom? Yeah. Where everybody knows your name. Yeah, you know? okay. And I said, a group, and there's usually about 15 of us, maybe 20, sometimes 10, it just depends on if people are, free or whatever but you'd be surprised and i thought they're gonna go oh here come those old show business bras honey they love it i said the only thing you have to do tom has to be separate checks if you think i'm gonna sit there and go now she had the mayonnaise and she (laughs) had the drink and she said i had two olives in my drink (laughs) well fuck you i'm not doing all that so uh so they did that and all the guys, they draw a crowd just watching us. And uh, we always, and the waiters, I thought, now the waiters are going to go, oh, God, we can't have to, we, everybody eats a salad, everybody, and uh, uh, Chris in there makes ice cream for us all oh. the time. Julio waits on us, and it's just, uh, and we always have a subject. You don't have to, you don't have to enter the subject if you want, don't want to. But our first subject, and suddenly everybody wanted to wait on us. Our first subject was, what's the worst fuck you ever had in show business? And everyone, and and contributes. Yeah, contribute. We all know somebody that, and (laughs) are, are, what's, uh, who's the biggest bitch you ever worked with? Or, you know, it's, uh, what's the worst (laughs) costumer that ever put you in something? That's the worst costume you ever wore, <laughs> or you know. No, I'm. What, I, I just, 
funniest thing that ever happened to you on stage. <laughs> and we, we have that. And you would not believe. It's fab Because most of us, the, the ages may vary 25 years, but we all know, we all talk the same. Well, yeah. You know. It's the same people, same, same vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah. Same vocabulary. We've all been on Broadway a ton. We've all done mostly. Mostly it's Broadway babies. So I have to ask, who's at this table besides you? You said Charlotte started it. Charlotte was one of our guests before she passed. Yeah. She was amazing. Oh, so yeah. Charlotte started it. You're at the table. Who yeah, else is I'm at the at, table? She called me uh, Joanne Moore, Karen Moore, Nancy Duceau, uh, uh, Mary Jo Catley, um, uh, Millicent Martin, uh, 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 Jane A. Johnson. Uh, all of those are Broadway babies. Yeah. They're all Broadway babies. Yeah. Uh, uh, now, I'm going uh, Eileen, um, oh, God, my mind's gone. Aren't you a help to me, Tom? <laughs> um, uh, Jackie Joseph. Uh, uh, this sounds like an amazing uh, uh, table. Uh, oh, uh, uh, Beverly Sanders. Uh I'm trying to. Oh, this is fun. No, we can we can always cut all of these. Like you know, we can cut the gap. So don't worry about that. That's but the, incredible. Now I have to ask out of curiosity, and you don't have to answer this question. In terms of the worst lay that everyone had at the table, I'm not going to ask you. Was did someone's no. name come up more frequently than others? One was of them it, came up twice. One of them came up twice. One of them came up twice. You don't have to tell me on air, but I'm no, curious. Can. can you mouth it to me? No, no. <laughs> She's not going to. I'm so curious now. Okay, that's fine. It's always some straight-ass leading man, though. Of course. very square. If you have that kind of tenor voice, you know. <laughs> you know. Yes. You have, you know, you sing like that, you've got to be square. You not going to be, be good. No, okay. You can't have that kind of voice. So what's next for you? You just you just made your New York cabaret debut. Yes. At at years old, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 94. 94. 94. Yes, I peaked at 94. What timing is everything, darling? You are such a brilliant storyteller. What took you so what were you resistant to doing a cabaret act? No, I just uh Yeah, I think I was. I uh, I just why are we sort of telling? I don't tell jokes. Yeah, and and I think with cabaret, you're like I was chicken, you know, across. Yeah, the, I guess I, it was always, it was always just the theater. Yeah, the theater, and uh, so I mean, I absolutely, I w- I will be honest with you, Rob. I mean, I've played enough bowling alleys in my day. I know the difference. So yep. it's not me carrying on about that. But that was like a, a dream thing, playing a 54 below. A Michael Feinstein's yeah. 54 below. Because it it turned out exactly like I dreamed mm. in my best dream. It turned out exactly. Good. Good. And I... And I'm not good at two shoes. I'm way past that. I'm way no. too old. I'm not making points anymore. You know, they say, oh, people get ugly. No, honey, no. we're just not making points anymore. Yeah. If we want you to move your ass. We say, move your ass. <laughs> we don't say, listen, would you mind? Yeah. You, no, no. And, uh, but uh, it was a, a perfect meeting of a storm. The audience, yeah. uh, me, I was on my medal. They were on mm. their medal. 
and I can't do it without the audience. Yeah. The audience is my addiction. Yeah. That's my addiction. My first addiction is Tom. And my second addiction, though, is the, is an audience. Because I, I can't do it without you. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, uh, and it, it was like a movie. Good. You know? And it's brilliant. If for our listeners who haven't seen it, it's Thank when you. when you are going to do it again, right? Yes. Okay. You asked me to come back. Good. Yeah. Good. And you are going to come back, yes, right? Indeed. Okay. Yes. That makes me I'm so doing, happy. And I'm also doing it. It transfers very easily to a theater too. Yeah. So I'm doing it now. Going to do it in some theaters. Good. And uh, it's really, really good. wonderful. And I'm so happy that you're doing it. Was it was just magical. Good. You know what was magical for us in the you audience know, as it well. It was like a movie. And as I said. I played the bowling alley. Yeah. I know the difference. <laughs> now, Been there, done that, had the T-shirt, sweetheart. <laughs> no, I'm not a well woman. I'm, we got to move fast here. No, I'm going to ask you one last question, then I'm going to let you go on with your day. So uh, how does it feel to be an Internet celebrity? Oh, if I loved I, it. If I can ask, if yeah. you don't mind my asking. I don't mind at all. People are talking about you and loving you and want to put you on a pedestal. Oh, so I tell you what. We're, we're talking about the political thing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You know what? Um, I make no no apologies at all. It was a joke. Anybody, even the other side knows it's a damn yes. joke. Yeah. So, but they'll grab anything, so that's fine. But you know what? Fabulous. Fabulous. It's what I believe. I find it appalling. It's more than appalling. Uh what is going on politically it's it's beyond words it's beyond yeah um and i was shocked i'll be honest with you i said it to the paparazzi got in the car never thought about it darling i said where were they i've been saying that line since he was inaugurated (laughs) what the what the fuck happened all of a sudden and the next morning he said well and I said, Rob, I said, I loved it, actually, because in the Australian papers, it said, our own Dolly, <laughs> our own Dolly tells the president off or attacks the president. And good on you, girl. Yep. Said, good on you, girl. And in New York Times, all that's yep. uh, And anyway, they always said things like, uh, Broadway legend. I said, shit, my obituaries won't be that good. <laughs> I said, hell, I would have done that a long time ago. <laughs> and and uh, the other night, I had to, we, um, Tom and I did a, a duet for the Actors Fund of America. Yep. And they had me come out with uh, two men dressed as uh, my friend Mason McCulley and another guy uh, dressed as Secret Service man <laughs> with the dark glasses oh, on. Oh, funny. And I had on handcuffs with pink fur on them. Oh, that's and hysterical. It went ape. Yeah. And, uh, but you know what? It was all. It, yeah, I, yeah. I'm glad I did it. Uh, don't regret it. Um, made my point. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is going to air, obviously, before the midterms. So please go and vote. Oh, the, yeah. And that's how we. That is actually. That does count. Yes. <laughs> Voting is. That's what we can do. It's not as sexy as the other stuff, but it's it's absolutely what we can do yeah. that'll pay off. That'll pay off. Absolutely. You know that. 
And you know what? When somebody tells me, I know who he is. I know who he is. But when somebody tells me they are for what he stands for, then I have to say, it tells me more about them. Yeah. And, and that is sadness. It is. It is. But a vote can change that. And hopefully everybody voting will come does out. It, but voting yeah. does it. But well, really what they should do is vote for me for queen. Yeah. Now, now. You I've, got my vote. I've got the clothes. The tiara, <laughs> we can work on that. I should be queen. A lot of my friends have made it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, darling. Absolutely. So you heard it here first. We want Queen Carol Cook. Carol Cook for queen. Not Barbara Cook. No. Write in Carol uh, no. Cook. And the, the profile looks good on You'll, the head of yep, a coin. Yep. We'll oh, put yeah. you on a coin and a stamp. <laughs> maybe a flag. <laughs> well. well <laughs> I, yes. I'll put it where it does the most good. Yeah. And, <laughs> We're going to be wonderful. Yeah, you you are wonderful. We'll put glitter and tits on it, darling. We'll be fabulous. <laughs> that's, we'll, how, that's what America should be: glitter and, and tits and Carol Cook. I'll go out with with. I'm still here. Yeah, right, right. Absolutely, you are the best. Thank you so much for all your time today. Oh, and Tom, you. thank you so much for being so kind and accommodating. I don't want to mention it to the audience, but sweethearts out there, out there in Radio Land, darlings. I've been on so long, you must have gone through menopause twice. Well, personally, I've gone through it three times sitting here. But then again, it makes me walk funny. But otherwise, I'm a hell of a good dancer. Okay. God bless you. Until next time. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Stars in your multitude, scarce to be counted. Filling our iTunes. They're not scarce to be counted, actually, Rob. And no, that is correct. There's many to be counted. In fact, scarcely there's less than four. I believe there are five stars there for are almost all of them. Five stars for most of our podcast, ladies and gentlemen. So this is how iTunes Thank works. Thank you. Every time you rate us positively, we move up on the iTunes chart. So anytime anyone searches for theater and Broadway, the first things that come up are the highest rated podcasts. Huzzah! Huzzah! We would like to be there as well. So now we're going to give you instructions on how to rate and review mm-hmm. us. Yeah, we hope. It's very simple and yet not simple at all. So, Kevin, we go to podcasts. Go to podcasts. And then what do we search for? You Actually, go to iTunes if you can. Go to iTunes. Don't (laughs) go to podcasts. Yes, and then then go to podcasts. And then you search for it. And then you're going to search for Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. What's that? That's our podcast. podcast. It's lovely. I hear it's great. Rob Schneider, dead sexy. And then go to ratings and reviews. Click that. That's in the middle of the page. Then you're going to go to write a review. It's under custom reviews. It's a little tab. It's tiny. It says write a review. Click it. Give us five. Don't give us four. Give us five. If you want to give us four, that's okay, but just let us know why. I have issues with that. Okay, okay. Rob doesn't want you to do that, but give us five, um, and um, and we'll thank you. Um, and Rob always sends them to me, and it makes my day when he emails them to me. So you know, thanks in advance. Yeah, it can, I, Kevin sometimes cries a lot, so it's nice to see well, Kevin you know. get it. He he just bucks up like a happy little young filly when he sees five stars coming his way. That's right. I promised Kevin that if we could get all five stars, I will stop doing my impressions that he doesn't like so much. So there we go, you guys. That's all all it takes. Where am I going? Because I didn't get a star. I feel like Judy Garland. Moving on down. (laughs) I'm Esther Blodgett, and a star is born. I was not allowed back on set after I stole James Mason's penny loafers. They looked marvelous on me. 
See? This is what happens. Give me five stars, you never have to hear it again. Bye. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.